chapter 16 in your Bibles, if you would. I'm going to try to finish this chapter up and not overstay my welcome tonight. Uh, but we got to, uh, shouldn't have too much trouble getting through this chapter. We kind of left off, and I think we took a little bit of a, a detour that I think was necessary in talking about unclean spirits and whatnot out of verse 14. And uh, just not, not forgetting uh, I want you to re- realize and remember that you wrestle not against flesh and blood. I want you to remember that there's more than one spirit in this world and that there's unclean spirits out there and there's a lot of uncleanness in the day and age that you live in. Uh, your flesh will naturally gravitate to it. Your flesh will like everything it shouldn't like. And uh, you got to watch out for that stuff. Like I was preaching about this morning and, and I, there's a hundred things I was thinking all afternoon that I... I wished I said that didn't say, but you can't say it all in one message, so keep coming back, all right? But, uh, but having a heart for God, having the right kind of heart, man, I, w- I want a clean spirit about me. And, and I don't know about you, but don't you get kind of tired of living in a dirty world? Um, what a great thing it'll be when Jesus Christ is sitting on that throne in Jerusalem and things are running right. You won't, you won't have to visit any more gravesides. You won't have to visit any more hospital beds. You won't have to deal anymore with unclean spirits and all the rest of that kind of garbage that's going on. Can you, could you imagine, Christian, could you imagine being set free from what you're trapped in? I know, I know as Americans we love our flesh an awful lot. Just stick around a little while longer, you'll get to hate it. You'll go up and down the steps and it sounds like popcorn popping on the stove, you know, it's just your knees. You know what I'm saying? Just stick around long enough, you'll get to where you realize the flesh ain't all that great. Could you imagine being freed from it and having a glorified body just like the body of Jesus Christ? I think it's going to be awesome. Could you imagine traveling at the speed of light? Let's go to Jerusalem. Okay, boom, here we are. (laughs) I want to be great. Uh, I can't wait for that day. And between now and then, the unfortunate news is it's going to get a little worse, according to the Bible. In the world around you, uh, the spirit of this world, and one of the signs I think you you can see that we're getting real close to the end is what's going on uh, around the globe. It's not just America. It's all over this world. It's a complete train wreck. Uh, The uncleanness is just, it's just multiplying. Uh, it's thought of absolutely nothing, truly. I mean, homosexual guys don't even view themselves as queer. Literally. I mean, and back in the 80s and 90s and stuff, growing up, you'd be a queer. That's what you'd be. You'd be gay. You'd be a faggot. You know what I mean? That's what it is. And nowadays, it's like, oh, I'm not a faggot, even though you're homo. Oh, oh so you're redefining all terms. You just got a wicked world you're living in and it's unclean and it's getting more and more unclean all the time and you're saved people with the Spirit of God in you in a world that's spiraling the toilet right now. It's just been flushed already and it's just circling around just getting ready to just go down. You understand what I mean? That's where we're at. But just because that's the way it is in the world doesn't mean we have to live defeated or depressed. I'm, I'm, honestly, I'm pumped up about it. <laughs> Maybe I'm a little sick in the head. I like a fight. I like a challenge. And you got one nowadays. That's exactly what you got is a fight. You got a challenge. And it's going to get worse. But you're not expected to live in defeat. You realize your Savior's coming. He's going to set up His kingdom on this earth. And He's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. And He's going to set it all right. And you get a thousand years to enjoy the blessings of God by being faithful in the here and now. 
Now tonight I'm going to show you some stuff from this passage. We're going to get through this thing doctrinally, but I'm going to show you some stuff with the Lord's help that might apply to you personally and help you understand that being faithful to the end is a really, really important thing. Um, I, and I'm not trying to, I don't mean like you have to all go be the greatest soul winners and witnesses there ever is. I don't mean you have to attack everybody with a Bible and be throwing gospel tracts around. But if God's put, put it in your gut to witness, you ought to witness. If, if, I mean, you ought to, to want to witness. You ought to pray a little bit about God helping you be a witness. But I'm just talking simply about being faithful in the last times. It's a pretty important thing. And so understanding there's unclean spirits out there, but you got the Spirit of God in you. And if the Spirit of God's in you and in control, if you'll yield to Him like we're talking about on Wednesday night, if you'll get filled with Him, if you'll let Him run it, if you'll let Him run your life, if you'll lean towards Him and not towards your flesh and not towards the Spirit of the age, you can be filled with fruitfulness like we talked about this morning. Now, see, that's what I want. I want some fruitfulness with my life. Because this day that we're looking at in Revelation chapter 16 is coming soon. And you need to get your eyes on this and you need to realize that this is what's coming because God's fed up with this world and fed up with the sin in it. In verse number 16 he says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. Please give us wisdom in these things and open up the eyes and understanding of your people to be able to see the doctrine here, and then, Lord, uh, even though this doctrinally we understand is not to us, I do ask you to give us some spiritual application that will help us serve you, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, you got to notice this, Behold, I come as a thief. Um, for whatever reason, a lot of guys have quoted this as the rapture, but that's not the rapture of the church. You know where we've been at. We're at the end of the tribulation period because we've been through this already multiple times. So this is the third time, I believe, we're coming down through to the end of the tribulation period or the fourth time here in Revelation. And you're down to the end again. And this is, this is a different rapture than your rapture. Go to Matthew chapter 24 and let me show you. This is another passage that a lot of guys will preach is the rapture of the church. It's not the rapture of the church. Matthew chapter 24. A lot of confusion comes out of this. Because you're reading through here and it's the Gospels, it's the New Testament, and so they make everything apply to you and me. This isn't applying to you and me. I'm going to show you this rapture in Matthew chapter 24. Start in verse number 29. Watch what it says. It says, immediately after the tribulation of those days. So that tells you where we're at, right? It's after the trib. Now, what some guys teach is that the church is going through the tribulation period, and this is the rapture. It's a post-tribulation rapture. Well, we've already seen that the church is gone by the time the tribulation period kicks off. The church is out of here. The plan of salvation changes. How can you have two different plans of salvation in operation when one group of people is being told they could lose their salvation, you're told you can't? You're not going through the tribulation period. You're out of here before. There's another rapture happening, and this rapture is the rapture at the end of the tribulation period, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Watch this. Shall the sun be darkened? Could you imagine the horror of that? I mean, a weird darkness, an uncanny darkness like nothing you've ever felt before. It's not the same as the sun setting. This would be weird. And the moon shall, give, shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. 
And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds and from the end of heaven to the other, from one end of heaven to the other. That ain't the rapture of the church. That's a rapture at the end of the tribulation period when Jesus Christ comes back and this great sign comes in heaven. The powers of heaven are actually shaken. Literally, like, it's not just the planet. The powers of heaven. You can't even fathom something like that. How, how crazy this would be. Verse 20, 32, Now learn a parable of the fig trees. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. For as the days of Noah were, that's Noah from the Old Testament, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the, day, for as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Just live for today. Don't worry about it. If it feels good, do it. Just party. Just live it up. Eating and drinking. Marrying and giving in marriage. Well, you know what that is. That's fornication. Because we've defined that for you already uh, from, I think it was going through Romans, we talked about that. What this is, this is the generation you're living in. Anything goes. Uh, open marriages and all the rest of that godless, forsaken depravity. That stuff don't work. You understand that, right? It doesn't work. It's an absolute train wreck. You know, I was reading something, I think it was from MacArthur or something like that, one of these preachers, and they said, he said that the studies have proven that people that get married God's way, you understand what I'm talking about? And, and, and uh, save themselves till marriage, then get married and stay with that person the rest of their life, that is the number one most successful way as far as marriage, divorce, and all the rest of that stuff is considered to do it right the first time. Do you know what this world thinks nowadays? If you're a virgin when you get married and then you stay with your spouse and that's it, they think you're crazy. That is like, what? The statistics to this day show that that is the happiest, most successful way to live your life, the most fulfilling way to operate in this world. God is light years beyond this world. The unclean spirits in this world, He knows exactly what He's doing. But not, not these fools, you know. They're just marrying and giving in marriage and living like hell. All right? Keep going. Until the day that Noah entered the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two shall be two in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, and for in such hours ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Now, nowhere does the rapture of the church where Jesus comes to get his bride, is it him coming in to bust up your house? N not a chance. You don't go to bring your wife to the wedding rehearsal and just show up at her door without telling her you're coming, not giving her a chance to get ready, and kick the front door in and start flipping stuff around and say, it's time, let's go. That's not the Lord in the church. 
This is God coming back as a thief in the night without telling him he's coming and saying, you better be ready because when I come, I'm coming busting skulls. That's what I'm coming to do. I'm going to come ring your bell, man. You better be ready and living right when I show up because when I show up, I'm going to mess you up if you aren't. Folks, this in Matthew chapter 24 is not the church's rapture. You know, it's pretty genius of the Lord not to tell us. If there's a chance, and, and, and I want to say this because I think it's really important to be said and said the right way. So the passage, the day and the hour, no man knoweth, right? Here's what a lot of the guys that believe the Bible and study the Bible will say, and I can't necessarily take issue with them on it, all right? They'll say this, that is talking to the people at the second advent. That's not talking to you and I at the rapture of the church. I can't necessarily take issue with that. This is what the point is. They're saying we think it's possible, some of them, we think it's possible for us to study this Bible and see when the rapture of the church is going to be. Like it's in here somewhere and we can figure it out. Now, here's why I don't want to do that, although I could give you a bunch of different numbers we could run, dates you could set from different time frames in history, different definitions of generations. There's a lot of different stuff you can do when you start studying the Bible and say, man, it really looks like it's going to be at the latest 2044 or at the latest 2032 or 33. And I mean, you can literally come to these different numbers. I just gave you different numbers that you can come to by saying from that point when he said this going out to there. And if you took when that happened and you take it out to there, but then you back off seven years or three and a half years, you can start coming up with these different. You understand what I'm saying? You can start seeing some dates where we think like, man, we think maybe we know when the rapture could happen. Yeah. Now, because the Bible doesn't say to you and I in our rapture that we don't know the day or the hour, that's to them. I, I agree with that. But the reason I am not going to and not comfortable dating the rapture is because I still believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. In other words, I believe that the apostles knew that he could have come back in their lifetime. And I really believe he could have. And I also believe he has it set up in such a way that if he does come in 2024... We all missed it because our calendar doesn't match up with the Jewish calendar. Or if he does come in 2033, we missed it somehow or another or, or guessed it right or whatever. However, 2044, or if he doesn't. Here's the problem. If I say the Lord's coming in, 20, in 2044, that's 20 years from now, right? I'm 46. I'll be 66. I don't want some of the kids that are sitting here listening to me saying, yeah, right, preacher. We remember 20 years ago when you taught us that thing on Sunday nights and you got out the board and you drew all that stuff out and you showed us where you got those numbers from where we ran all the references and you showed us the Lord's coming in 2024, 2044, but the Lord says, I'm not ready yet. You know what I just did? I just told you, I know from the Bible and I showed you from the Bible when the Lord's coming and then the Lord says, no, I'm not ready yet. And I just discredited myself. I don't, I don't want to do that. you understand what I'm saying? I don't want to give the devil an opportunity 20 years from now to get in the heads of the kids and say, well, preacher's been saying that. You know what? I think God has this thing set up in such a way that your rapture could hit at any moment. Now, it is possible that you get some kind of a warning, and the only reason he would do that is because you're his bride. But what I think that does is that would help to send a bunch of people that are saved off to the bars on Friday night 
They wouldn't come on Sunday. They'd kind of live however they want. They'd push those lines just as much as they're comfortable pushing it, you know, for their own conscience. And then in the last minute before he comes, they're going to jump in at the last hour and try to pull a wild card on God at the judgment seat. Well, 11th hour, you know, I got right and I passed out 4,000 tracks that last week before you showed up. I don't think you necessarily are going to have that warning, although it's possible. I don't think so. I think he's going to come when he's ready and you should be ready to see him. You should be living every single day of your life like this is the last day. I believe in planning like you're going to die of old age and living like he's coming today. I think that's what please, pleases him. We didn't have time to get to it this morning, but in Psalm 112, you know that guy with the right heart, that guy with the faithful heart? You know what it said over there? It says he guides his affairs, I believe it is, something like that, with discretion. He, he leaves wealth to his kids. In other words, he's smart with his money. That's what the book does for you. When you fear God, get in the book. The book teaches you how to manage your money. How not to overspend. How not to run by your, your impulses like this last generation does. How not to just, I want it, I want it, I want it. instant gratification like this last generation does. You just, just, just live your life like the Bible tells you to live it. And if you're doing that faithfully one day at a time, you don't have to be setting the world on fire. You have to be faithful to God. And if the rapture comes right now, but you're faithful to God, you'll be ready to see him. If you have a heart for him, if you really love him, I believe this. I believe God's so powerful that if the rapture happens today and I never get a chance to finish my race, I think the Lord knows what track I was on and what was going to come of it. And I think that the Lord will reward me according to how he sees fair. In other words, I'd really like to finish my race to the extent that I'd like to see I'd like to see us put up a seat, the sanctuary out here that fills the backyard. I meant to mention this this morning. I'll mention it now. I want you all to start praying with me about something. I'm going to go out here on a limb, all right? I think we all ought to start praying for that right there, right next door. You know how great it would be to have access on Chubb Road and on 10 Mile? And if we had that three acres over there, that's only $2 million. That, That's what that empty land is worth in Lyon Township. Is that insane? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. How great would it be if we had that property over there? We just sit in here. We'll have our bathrooms. We'll be, have our extended building. If we just pack this thing out, we'll pull out overflow chairs. I really don't want to go to two different services. I want to keep my whole church family together. I just like that. But if we had to, we could go to two different services Sunday morning, and we could just build right there next door while we're in here. You see what I'm saying? i got a thousand things I'd like God to do. But if he blows that trumpet... And I'm on the right course when he shows up. I believe that the judgment seat of Jesus Christ will take care of whatever I don't get to get to. I'm just telling you, be ready. But I am telling you that it's, this is not you. This whole kicking the door in thing. This is a second advent. In verse 45, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made rule over his household to give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant. Whom, when his Lord, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour when he is not aware of. This is how you know this ain't your rapture. And shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. At this rapture, if the Lord shows up and finds his servants aren't being faithful, they lose their salvation. They go to hell. You're eternally secure. 
That ain't you. That's the rapture we're looking at in Revelation chapter 17. It, you look at it later for the sake of time. I'm going to keep moving. But in chapter uh, Matthew 25 verses 1 through 13, you see the same thing. These virgins that are here with their lamps not being full and all that stuff when he shows up and they're running out the last minute to try to go fill up their lamps, that oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. So if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit when the rapture happens, you're not going. Well, that ain't what Paul taught us all, at all. So since that doctrine doesn't match the church age, that doctrine ain't to you. This is the Jews in the tribulation or the saints in the tribulation have to be faithful to the end or when he shows up, they go to hell. Back to Revelation chapter 16, if you would. So that's what this is talking about. They got to get our bearings and know where we're at here. So he says, Behold, in verse number 15, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now verse 16, And he gathered them together into a place called, the, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. That means the hill of the crowded or the hill of Megiddo. Verse 17, So the Lord's gathering them together. Why? For a war. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. Man, could you imagine... There's a voice in outer space. I mean, this thing's wild. This is a wild picture, folks. The seventh angel pours that vial. There comes a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. I mean, what kind of a voice is that that covers the whole earth, boy? You're at the end of the trib. If you go back later and look at it, you'll see this matches the seventh seal and this matches the seventh trumpet. So you're going through the tribulation period again. This is how we know Revelation is like the four Gospels. You get four paths through the tribulation, just like you get four of the, of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Revelation takes you uh, through the tribulation period four times because what's happening here matches the seals and the trumpets. Verse 18. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. So, there have been some pretty savage earthquakes on the earth. Right? <laughs> I've been to Haiti and seen the destruction of that earthquake. Boy, is it bad. I mean, you, 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 could, just, you could walk around and look at it. Years later, they still haven't cleaned everything up, but at least back when I was there. And you can look at it, they build the houses out of concrete. Concrete walls, concrete roof, that whole thing. So when, the, when an earthquake hits a place like that, people are getting crushed in their own houses. It's horrible. This thing says an earthquake is coming that is so mighty and so great, it's like no earthquake that has ever hit this planet before. Now, now watch this. Go back to Isaiah chapter 24. You ever read through some of these uh, major prophets and minor prophets and not really be sure what you're looking at? You ever get bored when you're reading through some of the prophets? Did God tell you that if you studied Revelation, you'd get a blessing? You study through Revelation, and you know what you start finding out? A lot of this stuff back here that doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you start reading through some of this Old Testament prophets, and specifically the major prophets and minor prophets, it starts popping, boy. The whole Bible comes alive when you begin to understand Revelation. That's why the devil attacks it so much. That's why there's so many false teachers out there. 
That's why there's so many guys out there trying to mess you up on the tribulation and the rapture and when the rapture's happening and what rapture it is and isn't. You've got to rightly divide the word of truth or you're going to be a complete soup sandwich when it comes to your Bible. And by the way, it doesn't make sense unless you rightly divide it. Yeah. Isaiah chapter 24. Behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty, maketh it waste, and turneth it upside down, and scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. It shall be as when the people... It shall be as with the people, so with the priest. As with the servant, so with his master. As with the maid, so with her mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. As with the taker of usury, so with the giver of usury. The land shall be utterly empty and utterly spoiled, for the Lord hath spoken this word. The earth mourneth and fadeth away. The world languisheth and fadeth away. The haughty people of the earth do languish. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. You getting the point yet? There is a curse going on in the earth. For the sake of time, skip down to verse 18. It shall come to pass that he who fleeth from the noise of the fear shall fall into the pit. And he that cometh up out of the midst of the pit shall be taken in the snare. What's coming up out of the pit? Shall be taken in the snare. For the windows from on high are open, and the foundations of the earth do shake. The earth is utterly broken down. The earth is clean dissolved. The earth is moved exceedingly. You see that? The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard, and shall be removed like a cottage. And the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it, and it shall fall and not rise again. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones that are on high. Principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. And the kings of the earth upon the earth. Do you see the two different classifications? And they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit. And they shall be shut up in the prison. And after many days they shall be visited. Then the moon shall be confounded, and the sun ashamed, and the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his ancients gloriously. You know what happens right there? God's coming back and he's ticked off. He's fed up. He's got his bucket full. I don't know about you, but do you ever, but I, I, well, I know about me. You can probably, be, probably relate. You ever get fed up with injustice? I get pretty tired of it. We almost had a brawl out at the hospital this afternoon, didn't we, brother? It was going to be me and the slabber men versus um, whatever that was. You know, they've been so gracious and so kind. You've had a lot of people out there have been really, really kind and helpful. Christians, nurses, and doctors, and, 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 and whatnot attendants praying with her and helping her. But they got a particular one out there right now that just, he's got issues, man. Seriously. And it's like, well, no, that four-year-old can't come in here. Well, some of the other ones are saying, well, there might be certain policies, but we'll look that way while you take the little boy to go see his mom real quick. That seems just to me, doesn't it? I understand rules and all that stuff, but some of them are saying, the guy come in there, not one person has ever told us the policy of two people in the room. Haven't heard a word about it. Not one person. They're in and out. They're so nice to us, so kind to us. So respectful. This little whatever he is marching in there today. Only two people around in the room. (laughs) 
And the Lord's like, you're the pastor. You're the pastor. You're the pastor. Brother Slabber's like, okay, we'll take care of it. He leaves like, Aah! It's not just. It just really isn't just. It's like there's a zero compassion, man. Like Zero compassion at all. What's the problem? I got a tie on. You can tell I came from church. That bothers your conscience or something? What's the deal, man? You walked in and they were praying? He just said, okay, well, give us a minute. We're going to pray first. And he shut the door, you know. Yes, get him, you know. <laughs> Injustice just drives, doesn't it drive you crazy? You know, God sees every little thing just like that. That's a little thing, by the way, compared to what they've done to Christians throughout the centuries. Burning them at the stake and murdering women with babies just because of the name of Christ. You ever, you ever been treated, mistreated because you're a Christian at work? I know you have. I've had people that were my friends, quote-unquote, really liked me, Mike, until they found out I'm a pastor. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, what happened, man? You know what that ain't? That ain't Mike. I've, I've tried to learn not to take it personal. That ain't me. That's the name of Jesus. Uh, shepherds, according to the Bible, are an abomination to the Egyptians. Egyptians are a type of the world. They hate pastors. They hate shepherds. I mean, real ones. I mean, if you'll be one of these compromising shepherds, like I'll show you next time uh, what's going on in the Catholic Church, because we're going to start getting into that next time in Roman, Revelation 17 and 18, and what a stinking leopard, what a chameleon that wicked individual and that wicked religion is. They'll accept that kind of stuff. That, it's funny to me, they accept a man walking around with his collar on backwards who wears a dress 24-7 and don't have a wife. Vow of celibacy, you know. You'll accept a guy like that. But they won't accept a Bible-believing, God-called preacher because you stand up for something that's that tells us we're wrong and your life is wrong. And sin is sin and God's right and you need to get right with God. And that's what we stand for. And as a result, you're just considered off-scouring. You're considered, you're considered filth. You're considered flushable. That's what you are. You need to be thrown out. It's not just. It ain't fair. You know what? Part of me is getting to a point where I'm trying to learn to be like, man, I take that as a badge of honor. And just let them get all uncomfortable and refuse to be uncomfortable. <laughs> Why? Because it's his name. It ain't mine. So if you don't like me, you don't like me. What do I care? If you're, if you're going to act like that towards me because I love Jesus, I love Jesus Christ. Do you hear me? I love Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something else. I believe the Bible. I believe every word of the Bible is the word of God. I believe it from cover to cover. I even believe the cover. Amen. Right? That's, uh, that's how much I believe my Bible. I love my Bible. I'm not ashamed of my Bible at all. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. If God says homosexuality is an abomination, then it's an abomination. Young men, it ain't a joke. Fools make a mock at sin. I got myself in some big trouble in high school because somebody thought it'd be funny to act like a queer with me. He made a joke. I was just kidding, you know. Yeah, he figured out real fast. I don't think it's funny. Now, you can't do that nowadays because you'll go to jail. I almost did. Really, I almost did. But I, I just don't think it's funny. Sorry. Fools make a moccasin. I don't understand these guys nowadays. Y'all think it's funny, and I know it's the culture. It's literally the, the culture to joke around about being a queer. God says it's an abomination. It's disgusting. It ain't manly. Hello? I'm not going to apologize for that. If that makes me a freak and a weirdo, then so be it. I've loved this book, 
and I believe this book, and I'm going to stand for this book. And this world is going to literally, like literally, what I just said, I could probably go to jail for in my lifetime. That's probably something that they could put me in jail for in this lifetime if they pass all this hate speech stuff. I hope some of you guys in here, if you're called to preach, you're younger than me, you 20 years behind me or whatever it is, it more than likely will be. I hope you've got the backbone it takes to get up and tell the truth whether you go to jail or not. Don't be ashamed of that book. All the stuff's unjust. But when he shows up, he's going to straighten it all up, man. And boy, I'm living for that day. I want to be there with him. I want a front row seat. I want to get his class. I mean, there's no way, you know, I realize I can't get ahead of people like Paul. You know what I mean? Or John the Baptist or, 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 or Martin Luther or Dr. Ruckman or Brother Peacock or Brother Lentz. I mean, I'm going to be back there somewhere, but I want to get as close as I can get. I want to be faithful now because he's going to straighten it all up, and I can't wait for that day. I'm sick of this world. I'm sick of watching it. And guess what the Lord's sick of? He's sick of the sin. Back to Revelation chapter 16. What you got to understand, and you can't forget, because I'm sure you do understand it already. You guys, it's terrible to watch sinners persecute sinners. Especially when some sinners are trying to do right and some sinners don't like right. You understand what I'm saying? But it's still a sinner persecuting a sinner. <laughs> so like, whatever. You get my point? You know what they did to the Son of God? You know what they did to his son? You know what they've done to his word all the way through the Old Testament? You know what they did to the word of God? When God said it's wrong, they said, shut up and get out of my face. You guys realize they're offering their babies to Baal? They're taking their infants, heating up that statue of Baal, and putting infants on the fiery hot arms of that, of that statue, and, and those arms are situated like it's burning that baby alive. That baby's rolling down those arms, falling off into a fiery pit, offering their children and sacrifice to Baal, infants. And it gets worse, but I'll spare you. That's the stuff God's been putting up with for thousands of years, hundreds of years of human history. Murder, bloodshed, and he's long-suffering because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. His bucket's getting full. And I'll say, oh, that God in heaven, what kind of God would do that? God would burn up a city for being sodomites? Yeah, he would. What kind of a God? The same God that's been putting up with you and 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 putting up with you. You want to get your blood boiling, get you in a mood to preach? Go sit and talk to Miss Siham and, 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 and her other friend about, about Islam and, and, and hear all about the God that they serve that tell those men the way they can abuse women. All the rules are for the women. If a woman smokes or a woman drinks or a woman's uh, with men and all that stuff, she's considered a bad woman. But the men can smoke, they can drink, they can do drugs, they can have multiple, four, four wives are allowed and more if they need more. Their God makes everything okay for the men. In the name of God. And you wonder how they're spreading their religion. <laughs> I mean, that's easy. That's an easy message to preach. Make sure you pray five times a day. Come to the mosque and, you know, give some money and then kind of do whatever you want in between. Here's all the things you're allowed to do. 
Their prophet Muhammad is making up extra rules for them, not based on the Quran, based on what he says, and he's giving them all kinds of passes on stuff, all his sins, you know. God's been watching this stuff for years. Sitting back. Seeing all this stuff for years. Taking it. Because he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants them to get saved. You know, the Bible says God's angry with the wicked every day. The Lord loves them. Well, I, I understand that statement. I make that statement. But let's make sure that we properly uh, teach that statement. He'll love them the second they get to the foot of the cross. But when they reject his son, he's angry with them. His wrath is fixing to get poured out. So when Jesus Christ comes back at that second advent and puts that foot down on the Mount of Olives, he splits that mountain in half, an earthquake hits this earth like you ain't never seen in your life. And the powers of the heaven are shaken. Look at verse 19. And the great city was divided into three parts. Now that city we'll start looking at next week, so I'm not going to get into it too much right now. The details of verse 19 are Revelation chapter 17 and 18. The great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. You guys, that's the second advent. When he comes back the second time, he ain't a baby in a manger. He ain't the meek and mild Jesus. He ain't the one whose voice won't be heard in the street. He comes back as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, full of fury and full of anger, and he's ready to set it all right. In the meanwhile, don't you ever forget, Christian, that's trying to serve God and your heart gets broken in this lifetime. It gets mashed, doesn't it? You get disappointed. You get let down. Bad things and unfair things happen to you. Your life gets pulverized in this world. Don't you ever forget who the God of this world is. And that your Savior is coming, and when He comes, He's going to straighten every bit of it out. And if He suffered, it's our honor to suffer with Him. Misery creates ministry. Unfortunately. So the attacks you get, the problems you get, the unjust things you get, the struggles you have, they aren't God's fault. It's a sinful world, you guys. And one day soon, he's going to straighten it up, man. In the meanwhile, you watch the wicked get rich and get richer and get richer and nothing happens to them. You see some of these guys take drugs and drink and smoke and, and get old. I've seen them 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, 90 years old, shot of whiskey, cigarette. And then Brother Lynch dies at 54, 55 or something like that. Huh? How's that right? No, really, how is that right? You ever go do the research on some of these great preachers we all talk about and how find out how many of them were died in their 50s and 60s and stuff like that? And you got wicked men living long lives. You know why? God's sitting back saying, well, his hell's getting hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter with every passing day. Because God doesn't forget. 
And he shows us at the second advent, he forgot nothing. He let nothing go. He watched every bit of it. And in the meanwhile, he gives you and I an opportunity to, like Brother D says, like we were looking at on Wednesday night, he gives you and I to suffer, an opportunity to suffer well. That's Brother D's statement. He said, we've learned to suffer well. Like, like, a, like a soldier. Why? Well, it's the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. You ever stop and think about the fact that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief? He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. In other words, Jesus Christ was like, hey, grief, there you are again. How you doing, man? Yeah, I haven't seen you in a couple days. How's it going? Yeah, well, you're still around, aren't you? And he has a couple good days, and then sure enough, there's grief. Hey, man, how you been? Yeah, well, I haven't seen you in a couple days. He's acquaint that's an acquaintance. I, I don't know how that works, but I'm telling you there's something supernatural about that. That he is the Savior, the Creator God manifest in the flesh, walking around on a sinful planet, looking at people and bearing burdens that we can't comprehend. That's what he did in his life. So in our life, we have to struggle sometimes. And your burdens aren't meant to crush you. They're meant to show his comfort and his presence and his power. And he'll get you through them and you'll have better days and, the gro and then grief will show up again. You understand what I'm saying? And you'll get through it if he helps you, and he'll help you and build you, and you'll go to the next level with him, and things will get a little better, and then guess what will show up again? That's what my preacher tells me. How are things going? Great. Okay, just remember this. Yes, sir. You don't have to finish the statement at this point, I know. Because back in the day, he said, listen, man, just hang in there. Batten down the hatches and wait. You'll see what God will do. Just hang on. Well, what am I supposed to do? i got to fix it. No, don't fix it. It's God's church. Just sit back and wait. I said, all right. So I just sat back and did nothing. I battened down the hatches and let the storm blow and waited. And then guess what? God blessed. How's it going, man? Going great, man. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Okay, remember this when the bad times come. That's life, you guys. When Jesus shows up, man, it's going to be a day that doesn't end. One day of joy and power and peace and sunshine and the righteous king reigning and you and me running around having us a wonderful time serving him and running that kingdom and fellowshipping for a thousand years and then we get to go off into eternity eventually with the Lord. You got to keep all that stuff in mind. His wrath is building up because he's sick of it. He's watched what that Great whore of Babylon, which we'll start into next week, has been doing for years. And folks, believe it or not, she's been working behind the scenes and continues to work. And it's hard to recognize her throughout history because she's a chameleon. And I, and I say this, and I'm going to teach this with a lot of, lot of uh, dogmatism, all right? When it comes to the Catholic Church, you're going to hear me, I'm going to teach it with dogmatism. And one of the reasons I can be pretty dogmatic about it is because I've traveled the world by the goodness of God and the opportunities I've had. I've seen Roman Catholicism in different cultures, not American. It doesn't look like the Roman Catholicism you're looking at. I preach my messages in such a way that I could take the outlines that I got and I could get on a plane and I could go to Mexico, I could go to Haiti, I could go to Europe, I could go to Africa, I could go to Asia, and I could get there and pull the outlines that I have out, and I wouldn't use all the same jokes or illustrations because I understand they don't always transfer. But I could preach my outlines anywhere in the world because the doctrine that I'm giving you doesn't change based on the culture. 
But that mystery Babylon, that whore, that chameleon that fits into whatever she's got to fit into for her own success, she's wicked. And she's been there in the background with politics and religion and all kinds of stuff and wars and all the rest of that stuff for centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries going back all the way back to Nimrod with mother-son worship. It's a spirit. And it's a spirit that works in this world and it ain't the Lord's spirit. Now let me wrap this up tonight because I want to get you out of here. Look at verses 20 and 21. And every island fled away and the mountains were not found. That means it looks like, it looks like when that earthquake hits and shakes this thing up and the powers of heaven are shaking and the planet's shaking so bad, mountains are falling and islands of the seas are going underwater. They're getting bust up, busted up and sinking. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. Now it depends on who you read after, that's somewhere between 8 and 120 pounds. Hail. So like, guys, bowling balls, anybody know? How many of you have been bowling eight pounds? Is there eight pound bowling balls? Is that a big one or is that a small one? That's a small one. That's the girl ones? All right. No? <laughs> How many of you want an eight pound bowling ball dropped on your head from eh, 20, 30 feet up? At the smallest, eight pounds, the size of the hail. God's literally launching laser-guided, heat-seeking missiles in the form of hailstones, and those things are going to be hitting anybody that's got the mark. you imagine that power? While God's doing that to them, about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceedingly great. You know what blows my mind about that right there? What did the men do? They blasphemed God. That means they knew it was God. A 120 pound hailstone coming at you and you know God's the one throwing it and you're still so stupid that you'll cuss him out rather than get on your knees and beg for mercy. That shows you how wicked the heart of man is. Miracles are happening, and if they won't listen to a preacher preach, they won't listen to Moses and Elijah get killed, come back up from the dead, go up, back up, ascend right up in front of them, all the rest of that stuff going on in the tribulation period. They won't listen to the preacher. They won't listen even though God's working miracles right in front of them. Well, I just don't, if I don't see it, I don't believe it. Hogwash, you don't believe it because you don't want to believe it because your heart is hard and you don't want God to tell you to knock off your foolishness, get on your face and ask God to forgive you. You don't want to humble yourself and ask Jesus Christ to save you. That's the root of the problem. Let's just be honest. You're not man enough. You're not man enough to say, I'm wrong and you're right, God. Please forgive me. Come into my heart. Save my soul. So you'll you're so stupid, you'll blaspheme God when he's launching bombs at you like that. Hail, that's not eight-pound hail ball. Now here's what I find crazy. What are the mountains doing? Verse 20. Look, check this, check this passage out. Uh, you guys know the, the text over there. Let me, uh, I'm going to just... Quote it to you. Go to John chapter 3, if you would. John chapter 3. You remember the passage 
this has been a big one, and this is what my conclusion for tonight. I want to give you some spiritual application to take away with you. John chapter 3, we'll get to this one in just a second. Remember the passage where they bring the, uh, the lunatic boy to the disciples. The disciples can't cast the devil out of him. Remember that? So then they take him over to Jesus, and Jesus casts the devil out of him, and they say, Lord, why couldn't we do it? And he says, O ye of little faith, you know, wherefore didst thou doubt? If thou hast faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, Be removed and be cast in the sea, and be done. Remember that? He said, But this kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. So he points out that prayer and fasting seems like, according to that, it could have more power than this mountain moving faith. You know how many Christians have tried that? I heard Brother Lint say that he tried it, you know, in faith. All right, God, you said it. It's in the Bible. If I buy faith, a grain of mustard seed. So in the name of Jesus, I got faith in it. And he pointed at the mountains and said, go. And they'd sit there and stare at him. <laughs> I remember him saying that. Some of you have probably heard the messages on, online or whatever. But I remember him using that illustration when I was there. Because there was a mountain right there. I forget the name of the mountain, but it was, it was right there. He, he, I could see him pointing, you know, the direction of the mountain. So I figured, well, maybe I am greater than my father's. You know, you never know. I'll give it a shot. Nothing's happening. I got so obsessed with faith in the study of faith, I printed out every verse in the Bible that had the word faith in it. You, there's hundreds. I got studying all those words, trying to figure this thing out because if faith is that powerful, I want some of that. I'd like to build the biggest mega church in Metro Detroit preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, singing from the hymn books, spitting, snorting, stomping, foaming at the mouth with the lights on in the building. Could you imagine a great big mega church with the lights on and pews just because it looks like church? It's just kind of like in your face to all the movie theater churches. You know what I mean? Faith. You know what I figured out? When Jesus shows up, those mountains drop. There's different types of faith. And you don't have the faith of Christ. It's his faith. You know, he saved you by his faith. Now, we say put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it's such a huge subject, I can't, I, can't, I can't do it justice tonight. I'm not saying that you don't have any faith and that you can't have faith. You ought to put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. You ought to, in your mind, you ought to realize what that Bible says and accept it. You ought to believe the gospel that you hear and confess Jesus Christ between you and him to save you. Nothing else, it's, that, it's ABC, it's that simple. Nothing else will save you. You're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Well, what's that? The grace or the faith? I think both. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by... It's a conviction of the Holy Spirit. When you see what the Bible says about you and the Holy Spirit convicts your heart and then you sit there and you got to accept, believe and confess or reject. You're saved by the faith of Christ. I'm not saying don't put your faith in the Lord. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying his faith goes so far above and beyond what any of us can understand that when he made that statement about a grain of mustard seed, it's a little mind-blowing. 
Look at John 3.34. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. You know what all of us have? A measure of the Spirit. Let, let me show you what I'm talking about. Go over to Romans chapter 12. Just two more passages and we'll stop for tonight. Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me. See where grace came from? It's given unto me. In your troubles and trials, in the injustices of life, in your struggles and difficulties, maybe consider asking God to give you the grace to handle it. God, I need grace. I've experienced it, I think, a time or two where I shouldn't have been okay. And I don't know why I was okay. But I'm okay. I shouldn't be, but I am. I don't know how to explain that. I'm not saying it's some kind of a state that I live in or anything silly like that. I just do think a time or two I've just really been like, man, God, I don't know. This is just you. I appreciate when God gives me grace. To every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. It's one of the blessings of Romans 7. In me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good things. That's one of the blessings of the constant struggle. You know what Dr. Ruckman said something I thought was really wise. He said, God will leave just enough fleas on you to remind you you're a dog. Isn't that good? Yeah, why do I keep struggling with this same sin? Maybe it's God's way of reminding you. I don't say justify it and keep doing it. I'm just saying maybe that thing ought to humble you and get you on your face before God. But to think soberly, watch this. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. What did we just read in John chapter 3? God gave not the Spirit by what unto him? But guess what he gave to you? A measure. We'll finish up in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and we're done with Revelation chapter 16. We'll pick up in 17 next time and start looking at the Babylon because the Lord takes a little sidestep from the progress and talks to us about the Catholic Church. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 15. Not boasting of things without our what? That is, of other men's labors. But having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule, abundantly. He says, I got a measure that God's given me and I figured out what my measure is. And I got a lot more I want to do. But he says, but what I'm hoping is that when, when you grow, when your faith is increased, then God will let me go to the next step because right now God's got me here and God's holding me back and God's slowing me down and God's focusing me in because I'm here to minister to you and I'm waiting for you to grow. And I'm okay with not having to go be, do, accomplish, think I am, mountain, be removed, look at my great faith. 
God's like, no, why don't you just kind of slow down right now and I'm going to keep working on that. Hey, mamas, you got a thankless job. Really. No, seriously, I'm not trying to be weird here. You have an absolutely thankless job. You're expected to do all kinds of stuff all the time for everybody, and it's expected of you. And if you're cranky and grouchy, if you get shaking baby said, don't shake the baby, okay, if it's a little baby, but you get shaking baby said, I'm like, I'm just gonna this, right? Then it's like, oh, she's the worst, you know? But never seeing what you're doing all the time. And you feel trapped. You feel like you can't get out of the house. You feel like nobody knows and nobody sees and you need to go out there and reach all these souls and do all these things for Jesus. But maybe God holds you back because of those little souls that he's entrusted to you are really important to God and he's waiting for them to grow up and then he'll move you to a new phase of life and start using you in a different way and more abundantly but you need to instill in them because he wants to take them and multiply them and do things through them and you might not see how that one little soul two little souls three little souls five little souls whatever you got ten if you're really crazy twelve you know whatever (laughs) those little souls really 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 matter to God And you just have a measure. And whatever measure God gave you, that's all God expects from you. Is that relaxing? Like God, God only expects from you what he's given to you. So take what God gave you. Give it back to him. Be wise with it. Love him. Serve him faithfully. Minister to those little souls and and in the meanwhile when you have a chance to sit down and put your feet up and relax and feel accomplished, then enjoy your life and keep faithfully doing what God has for you to do because the measure God's given you is what God expects from you. And when he shows up, he's going to show you mountain moving faith. Your faith is going to increase in Jesus Christ when you see him like you never imagined. In the meanwhile, he's going to grow your measure slowly but surely through the words of God, through faithful service, through time, through circumstances, through all the little things that you don't think matter like driving through bizarrely cold weather and ice shelves on 10 Mile because somebody doesn't know how to drop the... I mean, thank God for the plowman. Amen. To get to church. And that mattered to God. And let's pray he comes and raptures us out of here today. Father, we love you tonight and we thank you.